Hello, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. I hope you're having a really fabulous day. I hope your fall is starting off on the most perfect note. The weather is starting to get a little bit crispy. I think I said that last week too, but I'm really getting in the fall mood. I've started to make like my little fall pumpkin breads. The aspens have begun changing colors in Colorado, so I'm always looking for a new hike to do. I'm looking forward to seeing more leaves, peeping the leaves this weekend. I don't necessarily think that fall is my favorite season. I know for some people it absolutely is. The cozy seasons are their favorite seasons, but I think I just love getting excited for a new season. Like I love really embracing a season as it enters. So I'm very, very thankful for this time of year. Quickly to plug, I am sharing some of these recipes and some of these little like fall habits that I'm picking up in the bi-weekly newsletter. The link is in the show notes if you'd like to sign up. It comes out every other Tuesday. I'm someone who is always in my inbox and I like there to be really quality newsletters in there. So I take a lot of pride in this newsletter and I think you'll really, really enjoy it. However, to get to the show, I'm so thankful that you're joining for this episode. This is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a really long time. Today, we're speaking with Macy Eleni. She is the superstar content creator behind Blazed and Glazed. Macy is a digital personality, she's an entertainer, she's a content creator, and she's also the thrift queen. She is everyone's favorite thrift activist, and through her thrifting content, she also does a lot of great educational activism in her personality around mental health, around the ethics of the fashion industry. She really shares her obsession with secondhand thrifted fashion in such an entertaining way, in a way that is so, so true to who she is as a person. We've followed each other for a few years now, so I feel like I know Macy, but I had never sat down to truly have a one-on-one conversation with her. And we were kind of joking about that beforehand. It felt like we already knew each other, so I felt like this conversation was so natural. We laughed, we got into personal moments from childhood we really shared a lot about each other and our perspectives on the thrift industry and i think you're going to really enjoy it and something else that was so exciting to hear about from macy was about her upcoming book coming out in 2024 i referred to it as the thrift bible because i think of her as the thrift queen the thrift goddess she has so much knowledge to share And this episode is full of really tangible take-home tips, but also I feel like the perspective of thrifting is so, so valuable that you can gain from Macy. It's not just about how you thrift or where you thrift, it's about how you think about clothes, it's how you think about the entire fashion process in your life and how you are a part of the system. So I loved this conversation, I felt like it was so fun, it was, again, chatty, it was like girls getting together and really gushing about things that they loved. And I felt like this conversation really healed me in a lot of ways. It really solidified a lot of my beliefs, but also gave me the space to really question a lot of the things that I have come to deem as normal within the thrift industry. So I think you're going to really enjoy it. I'm going to list all of Macy's links in the show notes wherever you want to find her TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And of course, down there, my links will also be as well for the newsletter. If you want to find me on socials as well, my email, if you want to get in touch, I think you're going to really love this episode. I know that I really loved putting it together and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. I have been sharing more video clips from these conversations that I do in person with you on social media. So I hope you'll check those out. I'm really proud of the video content 
that comes out of these episodes as well. And I really look forward to creating content that you want to see. So let me know your thoughts on this episode. Let me know what you want to hear about next. And you can rate and review the show wherever you're listening today. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatever it is. As a precaution, I want to add a very high level trigger warning around eating disorders, which we do discuss at a high level again in this conversation. Again, it is so, so special to have this time to connect with Macy about something that she's so deeply, deeply passionate about. And it's so special to be able to share this conversation with you. I think you're going to really love it. And with that, let's get into today's conversation with the thrift queen herself of a blazed and glazed Macy Eleni. People like aren't understanding that like still like the general public like is not going to the thrift store for all their clothes. Absolutely. And I feel like I'm happy to like be able to talk about it to more people. Oh, please. I'm so excited. I feel like also that adds to the almost controversy of thrifting now where people mm-hmm. are like, there's too many people thrifting or there's too many resellers, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a whole other rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And people do not understand that even with the trendiness that you perceive thrifting to have. That's just not. It just is not it's reality. It's making even like the smallest dent in like the overall like picture. Absolutely. Talk to me a little bit, zooming way, way out. You grew up in Ohio, correct? Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship with fashion growing up. Growing up, I i mean, I like really got into fashion because I was very into like TV and film and stuff like that. I grew up in like, you know, not like the best environment. I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety when I was really young. I was raised by a single mom and I feel like I really, really got into fashion in high school. I applied for like the Teen Vogue, the, this thing called like Teen Vogue Fashion University back in the day. And it was like literally like an ad in the magazine that like I had to rip out and then I had to like write an essay and like style looks the photos are going to be in the book. It's literally me and my sister, like in all these like thrifted pieces that I got at Salvation Army um, because we had to like show our personal style. And like I got accepted and went to New York, wore like basically all thrifted clothes on the trip. And it was like different seminars and stuff like that with like Anna Wintour and Zach Posen and just like Vera Wang, like all these crazy people. I'm sure they don't do it anymore, but it was this thing where it was supposed to be very like you know, like come get a taste of like Teen Vogue in the office and stuff. And we got to tour and it was this whole weekend and it was literally the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me in my entire life. And it just really, yeah, like showed me what was out there and fashion and entertainment just became like my safe space. Like literally in our house growing up, like my high school bedroom was like plastered the walls with like Teen Vogue and nylon and everything like that was my wallpaper. Grew up in a very like obviously single mom, like DIY household um, obviously goes very hand in hand with secondhand shopping and just like making it work. So fashion for me has just like always involved thrifting. And I used to just go like every single Wednesday at the Salvation Army bottom at my mom's house was like half off family day. And I would go and obviously at the time it was very like not about sustainability for me. It was just about that I could afford it. Like at that point, that was probably like 2009, 2010. Like that just wasn't as much a part of the conversation, plus like social media, like Instagram, like wasn't around yet. It was literally just like me stumbling upon like YouTubers, like the first wave of YouTubers for the first time, getting introduced to fashion that way. Um, and so yeah, for me, like thrifting and fashion have always gone very hand in hand, but it's also kind of been like a messy relationship because, you know, I'm in like, like my fifth or sixth year of my eating disorder recovery. And that was something that was really tied to fashion for me in high school and like in college and my young twenties as well. So like even just starting my platforms online, like when I started Blazed and Glazed and started talking about thrifting online, like I really wanted to feel like a place where like 
everyone could belong no matter like what you look like or like what you, you know, could access, like that you could make fashion happen. Even if you don't look like me, even if you don't dress like me, even if you don't like the same things as me. And I just like really like wanted to make that place on the internet because I really felt like a couple years ago, all I was seeing was like, click here, buy this Amazon storefront, like fast fashion, Mm -hmm. fast fashion also tied with like, be skinny like me, look like me, and then you'll be chic and then you'll be fabulous. And like, I just really hated that messaging so much. I'm like the oldest sister um, of two younger sisters. And like, I really just kind of wanted to start like changing the fashion entertainment landscape for just like younger people. This is such a great story that like builds so cleanly onto 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 itself. If that makes yeah. sense. No, like, it feels very like I'm. I've said this a lot recently. Like, I truly feel like I'm just exactly where I'm supposed to be. Like at the right at the right time. Like right time, right place. The thing that's like so trendy right now, secondhand shopping, is just like the thing that I've been doing for my whole life and kind of how what fashion's always been for me. So it's really exciting to see fashion like the industry in general, just like actually, I don't know, like waking up to that and like using, reusing things and like actually understanding that that needs to be something that we do. And it's not just needs to be something we do, but it's also super chic and amazing. And like, we don't have to like, you know, dress super bland and like stuff like that to be able to be more sustainable with our clothing and ethical, like obviously. I have so many thoughts. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I have so many thoughts. Sorry, I can talk all I over think the place. Something else that's crazy about this story is the Teen Vogue University of it all. Yeah. Because 15 years ago, the story of women working in fashion, the romanticizing mm-hmm. of like the female journalist and it was every, the time. It was the time. Yeah. Like you were really deeply going after oh it God. as a teenager. I like made, that was the dream. I worked for the magazine at my high school. We had like a career education program where you could apply to do a certain career ed program and then like not have to do normal classes half the day. So I was in the mass communications program that ran the TV station. I did the morning announcements and I made the first fashion section at our magazine. When I got on the staff, I was like, there's no fashion section here. Like, what are we doing? And so I had to pick it to my teacher and then make it and then be the editor of it. And so like, I was very deep in that, like, you know, like devil wears Prada, how to lose a guy in 10 days. Like, I feel like I literally just saw a meme the other day that was like, we grew up in the time of like making us think that being a fashion editor or writer was the most glamorous yeah. job in the world. And so like, I was very in that. Yeah. And like, I think that's really where my like love for just like storytelling in general just like took off. But it was such a different, I mean, when I look back at that time, like I remember like the toxicity of like going into like the Teen Vogue offices and like feeling like all the women that worked there really were really skinny. And like, I was, I remember like, I will never forget hearing like the murmurs of like, I'm too busy to eat lunch and like that being so like, oh, that's so chic. Like she's too busy to eat lunch. And that really did like as much of like positive things as I grabbed onto from that like weekend experience. I definitely think there were things that it just kind of like told me, like even without the people that were like doing the seminars telling us these things, I felt like I was being told like what the industry was supposed to look like and how it was supposed to work just by like what I was seeing. I understand why that would be such a deeply impactful experience for a young person. Yeah. Because it's also a world so, so different from the world that you're coming from. Like it's not just about the home that you're growing up in oh, it was like or fish Ohio, out of water. it's like so deeply fish out of water. And I assume everyone else had a similar experience because what can you 
realistically compare to a weekend yeah. with Teen Vogue. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, and I did not, I mean, I did not expect to get picked. I, I, I kind of did though. I've always had like this like delusional, like <laughs> I kind of knew it was going to be great. I was like, I'm, like, I'm just like, I'm going to be a star. Like I, it was my like very thing I like held on to, like being in like a situation that wasn't great growing up. Like I just like held on to this like sparkly life. And I think that weekend like showed me like, it's possible. And like, you just wrote an essay and like took some photos, like literally me and my sister like threw up a sheet in our mom's basement and just like played with clothes and sent them in. And then I was like, Hey mom, like, can we go? And like, I think it was ended up being like a birthday present that we got to go. And even my mom was like, I'm, this is crazy. I'm like in a room with Vera Wang because my 16 year old just like applied in the back of a magazine. Something so fabulous about just like applying from a back of a magazine. Like I, I, love, I, admit, I love a physical magazine. Oh my God. I love it. And I love that it really is just you as a 16 year old with your sister, like going yeah. out or something oh like God. it's so pure. It was all I wanted. I literally was so hungry for like, how am I going to get to like LA or New York one day? Like I'm nobody from nowhere with no connections and no money. Like I don't have, I need to be able to like make it work. And my mom like really put that like DIY sense in us, like always doing our own hair and our own nails and like, you know, doing our thing on a budget. And I think it made me know, like, I have to be crafty. Like there's no like net for me to fall back on or no one to like help me really get to my dreams. So like I need to be crafty. Make and like what I had at the time was like my words and like my creativity and like a camera. And like the early days of YouTube were showing me that like that was actually starting to get people places and that like there were other people like around the country wanting to do the same thing. And yeah, it was literally like a weekend that I think just changed my life in like so many ways. Oh my gosh. That's such an exciting experience. So talk to me a little bit about the transition from DIY culture in your household, from thrifting, because that was just the thing that you were doing. When do you go from that like personal experience of secondhand shopping to resale to bringing secondhand shopping to the masses, to other people, maybe well, not even the masses, like yeah. other people to start for me. Like, I mean, I was always just the friend that was the only one thrifting because obviously like back then, um, in like the mid two thousands, like it wasn't cool. It wasn't trendy. The girls at my school literally said my clothes were smelly, even though they were washed just the same as them. There's from the mall, like just like that old story. And so, but I was always that friend that was like, we can thrift this, we can do this. Like I lived for someone telling me like I had a good outfit and being like, it's all thrifted, it's all secondhand, I don't care. So I was like always that friend like in high school and in college that was just like dragging people by their hair to the thrift store with me that didn't wanna be there. Um, and then like slowly converting them. And I've always been thrifting with my sister and you know, I'm not, I don't like thrift to resell. I like will partner with like different resale apps and stuff and like clean out my closet. But for me, like I always, the main goal of my whole life has been to like really reinvent the fashion entertainment space and like make fashion television like it used to be, but better and inclusive and accessible. Like I lived for like the fashion TV shows, like look for less and what not to wear and all of that growing up. But like, obviously so toxic when we look back on it. Oh, yeah. And I just like want to give it a facelift. And so for me, like, I wanted to create platforms where I could just get that message out there because like, obviously like I'm not a Nebo baby. I don't have those connections. Like for me to get the mainstream entertainment industry to understand that this is where fashion's going and this is what people care about. And people do want to see these secondhand stories on their screens. Like I knew I had to make that myself first. So I started with YouTube and I mean, I started my YouTube channel, like my first YouTube channel, Fashion Outsider 09, before we you know, knew if it was safe to put our real names on the internet back in those 2010 days. And I think I have a clip on my Instagram um, that I posted that was like me literally vlogging on like a flip cam at the thrift store. Like, and it's so grainy and terrible, but it's 
amazing and like so pure. And I think I knew I was manifesting then what I am doing now without even knowing it, knowing I wanted to be like a storyteller. And I always knew I wanted to like, yeah, make TV shows and stuff like that and be on camera and like make people just laugh and happy because that's what entertainment did for me. And that's what fashion did for me. But I knew that I, yeah, I had to do it myself to make people care and to get into those rooms. So I started like my YouTube and I started Blazed and Glazed like pretty, not that long before the pandemic hit in 2020 and then started TikTok during the pandemic in 2020 and really started to like get a grasp on like how many people out there were interested in this now. And that like, this was cool now. And that like secondhand shopping, um, I mean, I'm 30 years old and like a lot of my audience on TikTok specifically is like a little younger and they just were so enthralled and like me digging through, you know, grandma underwear drawers at estate sales and like unearthing things. And it re and I really just like, it like just sparked me within to just like keep having that conversation. Quick break to tell you about You Can Beam. I've shared before that I'm a wellness girly. I like to be outdoors, working out. I love a Pilates class during the week. I stay busy and I wanna make sure that I'm keeping myself healthy and nourished. I feel like there's nothing worse than gritty, gross, grassy, vegan protein. You know what I'm talking about. If I'm looking to hit some nutritional goals, I wanna make sure it's yummy and delicious. That's why I've added You Can Beam into my daily routine. You Can Beam is healthy quality supplements that are just different from the rest. Super delicious flavors, smooth, perfect textures that we're all looking for, and quality, quality ingredients. Something I personally found super interesting about You Can Beam is that they control their entire process from the sourcing to importing the raw ingredients, the in-house flavor and formula creation team down to the manufacturing and production. They really do it all. And this allows them to have super premium ingredients, superior products at very competitive prices. You Can Beam uses natural sources of protein, prebiotic fibers, and trace minerals to give you the ultimate amino acid profile for efficient muscle building and recovery. So I'll give you a couple examples. For example, their pea protein base is made from non-GMO peas grown in the U.S., which ensures a smoother, less gritty texture than you may traditionally expect from a pea protein. Or their mung bean is a rare vegan protein source chosen due to its incredibly high amounts of leucine, the muscle building amino acid. It's loaded with potassium and provides a really great source of copper as well. There's 20 grams of protein in a scoop from You Can Beam, and it's free of gluten, soy, and dairy. No added sugar and less than one gram of sugar per serving. I personally love the birthday cake flavor and their chocolate brownie batter. Chocolate brownie batter I like to have as kind of a little treat. I like to blend it with a banana or some vegan yogurt, like Greek yogurt texture, or I also like to add a scoop of either of these flavors into my overnight oats for, again, a little treat, a little flavor, a little extra protein in the morning. Speaking of treats, as a special treat for our podcast listeners, you can head to youcanbeam.com and use promo code ECOCHIC to get an exclusive 10% discount site-wide. Again, that's youcanbeam.com and use promo code ECOCHIC to get 10% off site-wide. It'll be in the show notes. And just kind of like also I love, I don't know, being the antithesis to like other parts of fashion TikTok that again are still that kind of regurgitated like dress like me, be like me, look like me, and then you'll be cool. And like, I just really want like, be like you. And then you just are cool kind of thing. But like, we can still play with fashion because in sustainable fashion, like personally, I don't resonate with a ton of sustainable brands that tend to be on the more like subdued side, like lots of neutrals and stuff. That's not really me. And I think that kind of that vibe gets like um, attached to sustainable fashion when people are talking about it that don't know a ton of brands. And it's also like expensive and not as accessible and sometimes not as size inclusive. So like I 
love that thrifting is just for everyone. And it's like just this place you go and like, it doesn't matter like you, the, what gender you're shopping in or what you're doing. There isn't, you know, mag or there isn't like a models plastered on the wall, like telling you like you're supposed to look like this to shop here. And it's just like so exploratory. So I feel like the second I like saw people like really being interested in this and like thinking this was really a cool way to shop, I just like couldn't shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> what I think I love about this story of like you were interested in fashion television mm -hmm. and now you're interested in the storytelling and bringing these stories to people and bringing sustainable shopping to the internet and showing people like you can dress like you. I think what's so cool about this is the inspiration of fashion television when I think of it, and you kind of alluded to this, is that it is a really, it was a really, really toxic environment, yeah. right? Like what not to wear was people was, getting They would just put in the mirror, the like four-way mirror, whatever, and be like, you're hideous. No. We're changing everything and what we say. And then we're also going to dress <laughs> you in clothes that you can't afford later down the line. Like we're gonna take you to like Anthropology, Banana Republic, give you all this expensive stuff. Like on Queer Eye too, like I love the makeover element, but they take them to a store that they like can't sustain. And I like the idea of like giving people actually like tips that they can sustain because everyone can thrift and everyone has a thrift store. Absolutely, absolutely. And even shows like Fashion Police. Fashion Police yeah. was a show about criticizing people. Yeah. And that was fashion television. Yeah, and it's what is like associated with fashion yes. television. And there hasn't been a big like break in like the new, like in just a newer, fresher way. Absolutely, absolutely. And then bringing it to people through these kind of like micro doses of content make it so normal yeah. because it's not like you waiting like we were again like 15 years ago you're sitting like watching an hour-long show on tv no you're getting overwhelmed with sustainable fashion information mm -hmm. and like now that is your norm now you're understanding that you fit into this larger system yeah which i like feel like i stumbled into on accident like i like i said when i started thrifting like it had nothing to do with anything honestly except myself and like i can afford cool clothes now like this is awesome and then you know, the more I like just learned and like listened, um, which is so much of it about the environment. And honestly, for me, like the big divorce with fast fashion was like just the ethics of it all. And like, I feel like for me, like once I really understood like that it's truly people being like not making a living wage and being kept in poverty and like who knows what's happening to them in these factories. Like that's what I started seeing when I see like a t-shirt, like an Amazon t-shirt or just like some kind of fast fashion haul. And like for me, once I saw that, like once I, that kind of switched to where it wasn't just a piece of clothing, it was like literally people uh, that like, I was just like, I can't, it's so gross. Like it's so, so icky. And like, we claim to love fashion so much. So like, why do we not care about the people making the garments we claim to love so much. It's like so twisted to me. Yeah. Like, really and like I'm not on no high horse. Like I am the, I, like I, you know, have had people put like words, not in my mouth, but kind of like on me of like sustainability activists, like things like that. And it's like, I'm just like trying to like, you know, fashion is like something I put on a pedestal for so long. And then like, I've slowly, as I've gotten older, realized it's just what, you know, like a top contributor to how terrible waste and like treating of human beings, be that in factories or like people in campaigns or like the way it makes people feel about themselves and their bodies. And I was just like, I want to be a, a part of this. I don't think it's like a race fashion. It's such a beautiful way to express yourself, um, especially for people that don't feel like they've been represented in a lot of ways in like media and like creatively and in campaigns and stuff. So I just like the idea of showing people like, you know, like we can do more, we can do better. 
but like I'm not perfect. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it's also, I think one of my favorite things about the sustainable fashion conversation is that it doesn't have to be environmental for everyone. It doesn't have to be ethical for everyone. Yeah. You like choose your reason yeah. and like there is something for you in the sustainable fashion space. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things about the way that you thrift and the way that you showcase your thrifts is how you lean into like the personality of the pieces so deeply. Like you'll say, I'm on the hunt for like some really ugly shoes. Yeah. Like here are my really exciting ugly shoes that I was excited mm -hmm. to buy at the, at the thrift store. Shoes. And like it gives people this really like honest understanding of why they can thrift. Like yeah. who cares if those aren't shoes that you're finding at the mall? Like you found them and you love them and like that's and what you're cool. gonna wear. And, and that's, that's cool. And they're cool. And if it's cool to you, it's cool. And it doesn't matter what exactly. anyone else thinks. So. But like you have to you have to put yourself in a situation where you're willing to be a little like raw with yourself oh, yeah. to say like, I like these ugly cool shoes. Like, uh, like this is what I'm going oh, yeah. to be wearing. And you can do that with anything. Like, but the idea that you're putting yourself in a situation to like really force yourself to think about what you genuinely like, that's like the best, not that's just like what you're being That's like one of the best fed. things about being in the thrift store is like, it's whatever you like. Whenever anyone asks me, like, best way to find your personal style, it is through the thrift store. It is through having no mannequins dressed up around you, having no models on, like, billboards around the store telling you, like, this kind of person shops here, this kind of person can wear this, if you're this size, if you're this shape, if you, like, look like this, if you come from this background. Like, when you shop in a normal retail store, you're just so surrounded by, like, everyone pretty much who, like, looks like you because it's a certain economic bracket. It's a certain person being presented by the brand, sizing. And, like, when you're in the thrift, that just, like, all disappears. And I've just heard such beautiful stories from people, um, a lot that I interviewed for my book on finding, like, their self-expression and their gender expression and everything just, like, through the thrift store because it was that only safe space, like, because normal retail stores aren't that safe space. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe the thrift. And I also feel like you have created a wonderful segue. Let's talk about the thrift Bible. Let's talk Ugh, about you entering your it. author era. When did you decide that you wanted to write a book? So because I, yeah, I didn't even decide. I, like I said, I've been, my biggest goal is like making a TV show kind of, well, my biggest goal, but my biggest goal of the moment, making an unscripted show in the thrift universe. And I signed with my TV agent like uh, like a year and a half, two years ago, and we have been like developing and pitching and like that's the universe I was living in. And last June, my wonderful book editor, Samantha Wiener, she reached out to my team and was just like, would Macy ever be interested in writing the ultimate guide to thrifting with like a humorous twist in her voice intertwined? And like, I saw that email and like literally peed my pants. Like I screamed so loud because... I got so, like I said, you know, so much of my journey has involved storytelling and writing and journalism, but I hadn't really touched that in a while because I've been doing it so video focused for so long. A book just like wasn't on my mind. I, I knew like one day I wanted to write like a book. Like my mom always told me like, we're going to write a book about like all the craziness that happened in our family one day. Like you're going to do that. I didn't think it would be a fashion book, but I also just devoured fashion books growing up. And when I got my book deal, I literally made my mom send me my Teen Vogue fashion handbook, my Secrets of Stylist book, like all these like early Y2K, mid 2000s fashion books that I got so inspired from, like literally like Nigel and Deborah Wears Prada, like reading it under the covers with a flashlight vibes. That was me. <laughs> and like, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to make this. So yeah, she reached out to my team, asked that I had to write. I mean, I'm so new to the publishing world. Like I had to write a proposal and my chapter one and my table of contents. And then that had to go. And I got like 
maybe three weeks to do that. And then that had to go through like their editorial board, then their acquisitions board. And then they had to offer me a book deal. And originally my editor, Sam, was at Abrams Books, which was really great. But then partly through my process of getting my deal, she moved to Simon & Schuster, had to get my deal matched. She did because she's incredible. And she's someone who like, isn't even like she wasn't a thrifter and then like got so into it through my content and like she just like wants to propel voices that have like a creative thing to say and I loved her list of books she's put out like they're incredible that she's been the editor on and that was last like August I believe that I got my like final offer signed my contract with them a couple months later and I just turned my manuscript in in June we've just now started um like it's gonna be very like 90s fashion magazine collage style rookie vibe. So like we're shooting the entire book. Um, it's going to showcase like so many pieces from my fully basically secondhand wardrobe. So much, it's just going to be bursting. That's what me and my photographer, Amy, who's also my best friend who I got on the project, luckily, amazing, just bursting. That's our word for it. Bursting with inspo, bursting with vibes. And I'm a very visual learner. So I obviously, my manuscript like takes you through um, really like every facet of secondhand shopping you could imagine, estate sales, flea markets, thrifting, everything. Then with like kind of my story intertwined throughout the whole thing and kind of how it's kind of definitely builds on itself. And you could be like a beginner reading it and learn everything. Or you could be like an experienced thrifter like me reading it and just have something to like feel like, oh my God, this is my world. These are my people. Like I am rep- like, I feel like it's huge for like the thrift community to be represented in like a big just bursting fashion book yeah, um, and be like, just like, yeah, this is really cool. So it's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And a lot of imposter syndrome of like, I have so many friends that are writers that write for all the magazines, all this stuff. Usually I'm on the other side getting interviewed, but it, yeah, it was the biggest challenge ever, but like, I am just so in love with it. And like, I can't wait for it to come out next year. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. That feels so natural the way that you say it like it kind of landed in your lap and you were like actually this is exactly what I want to do yeah no it, it went very hand in hand because I'd been taking a ton of production meetings last year uh where I was hearing a lot from execs which are like you know a lot of like honestly older men who just like live in Beverly Hills and don't understand that thrifting is like a thing people care about except they're like no we see your numbers online so like we get it but like you're too early to it you're too early to it so I was like okay let me write a book and now everyone's like oh no this is happening right now like this is the moment like now that's I'm gonna oh it's a moment it's happening so it feels like the universe was just telling me like you know, don't push for like, this is what you're going to do right now. And yeah. pause on that and like really dive into this. And I, I mean, I had no idea that I was going to be like writing a book so soon. It feels like very crazy to even say out loud. Like I said, the imposter syndrome is like, I don't have that in a lot of aspects of my life because I feel like I've like worked really hard to make the things that I have and to create them. But the book just like literally fell in my lap in a way that I know does not happen for most people. So mm-hmm. it it, it felt like just the biggest blessing, like from the universe. Congratulations. Thanks. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> now, on the flip side, now that we're thinking about encouraging people to think about thrifting more mm-hmm. deeply, we're talking about books, we're talking about TV, thinking about your life, I have to imagine it can get a little overwhelming. I can't imagine that you have a minimalist closet by any means. No. Not to project, but that's I'm my not assumption. A minimalist. And I try to say it all the time. I feel that's like people will like put that on me. So I, but people really that don't know a lot about like sus- like thrifting and sustainability, they don't like live in this world. I feel like here's sustainability and like th- like they assume tie it, it to minimalism. minimalism. Right. Like I just have like a capsule wardrobe, 
not me, but I have a system. Tell me about your system. Tell me, because what I was going to say is that I feel like people, they tie the word minimalism mm -hmm. to sustainability, which does not always equate. And for some people it works, but it doesn't work yeah. for you. It doesn't work for me. I feel like there's also this other level of it that people almost don't believe that you can have a full, almost 100% oh, yeah. thrifted wardrobe. People don't believe that you can truly find all of these things that you really want secondhand. So talk to me a little about your system because I have to imagine you've got a lot of pieces, you've got mm -hmm. a lot of great pieces and things get lost in there, I'm sure. You forget about things. Yeah. Like, tell me, how do you organize your life when your life is thrifting and things mm -hmm. and like having beautiful things that you truly love? So it's like, I mean, it's been a evolution. When I first moved to LA, like I lived in literally a studio apartment with my boyfriend for three years and there was no room for anything. Now, like I ha am lucky enough to have my like wardrobe room that's also my office and my filming room and stuff where we've kind of like built out a closet room. Uh, but I keep it like very, I mean, I am a Virgo, but I am like chaotic. I'm a messy Virgo. So it's like organized chaos. Like I know where things are, but like it's a little crazy. Um, we're literally getting ready tomorrow to shoot the closet cleanout section of my book. So we, Lexi and I have been cleaning the office a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to get it ready in the closet, but I'm like someone who likes to keep my stuff like moving. Like there are like archive pieces and things like that to me, they're archived that I hold on to um, and that I'll never get rid of. But I am someone who really likes to like let the pieces like live with me, have their time and then go on to the next. So I'm like always rotating my closet. Like I'm always gifting to my friends, having my friends pull things so they don't have to buy new things for vacation. Like, you know, partnering with resale apps to like clean out my closet and just get things to my followers for like a good price because that's like not where I'm trying to like make an income. It's just like, I want to get it out and I want it to be accessible to them and I want them to have a piece and a piece they've seen on me and been excited by and let it tell another story. I definitely am not like into like holding on to things that I don't feel like I can give life to. Because like for me, like there's supposed to be life in these clothes and that's such a learning experience. Like I've definitely had my like hoardier times, but I really try to like just keep things moving and grooving and not just sitting and collecting dust. Um, but it is kind of just like my own magical chaotic world. And I like that, like that for me is inspiring. I like seeing my shit everywhere. I like just like looking at the pieces and remembering the thrift I got them in, how much I got it for. Like I, you know, had no brain for remembering things in school, but I have an encyclopedia of my whole thrifted wardrobe. And you really can't just find everything. Like, you know, people yell at me online for thrifting bathing suits, even though they're dead stock and have tags or they're not. You just use a washing machine. And I don't know what people think their clothes are doing and like that come in from like Target and the mall and stuff. Like you have no idea who's tried that on. You have no idea who has put these things on. And, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like they're, yeah, like you said, you can really get everything secondhand and I do. And it's, it's definitely a learning experience of how to like keep the closet moving. Cause when you get into thrifting for the first time, it's obviously very easy to like buy a lot of shit, figure out what works and figure out how to make it work for you. And that's okay. Like, you know, no judgment. Like we got, I feel like there's so much like judgment and like energy and like the sustainability fashion yeah. conversation. And I really like to just make it feel like really welcoming for everyone. Um, which I think is me like kind of opening up the window to like my little bit more chaotic wardrobe, life, fashion lifestyle, and like showing them that like, you know, this is, this is also sustainable and cool. And like, just because I have a lot of shit doesn't mean it's not like moving in a circular way. And like, as long as you like approach your wardrobe in a thoughtful way, you can still like have a lot of shit that you love and you can still like buy the stuff that you want. Um, as long as you're being thoughtful about, you know, where it's going once you're done with it. 
yeah. not just dropping it off the thrift, but like finding like a shelter to donate to or a friend to give it to and to swap with and just like keeping the clothing moving. I feel like that is a level up kind of tip for people mm-hmm. because once you get into thrifting, you're right. It's easy to get excited it's about this, your like, stuff. It's Pandora's box of like, ah, oh, exactly. I want bags of everything. And that was me when I first started thrifting. Exactly. Exactly. But like once you're comfortable just like finding things that you like, yeah. get rid of the stuff that you're not using. Yeah. Like I think a lot of folks forget about like the... Yeah, like the circular aspect of the fashion system that they're also yeah. a part of. Yeah, and like just being easy. thoughtful about where it's going is huge. And it's really everything. Like if we're just thoughtful about where these clothes are moving, um, then there's going to be more out there for us all to find and to trade. And I, I mean, like I said, I grew up like with as an older sister. So like hand-me-downs, like that's very normal to me. And I feel like we lose sight of like just like borrowing clothes and swapping clothes. That's why like I love that I've built out like a showroom of a sense that when my best friend was going to Italy, you know, a couple months ago, like she came and shopped my wardrobe instead of buying new shit from like a fast fashion brand. And I think that's amazing. And I think we should just like be doing more of that. Absolutely. I think people forget about like clothing swaps in that sense. Yeah. Because when you're living in, I always give the example of like a college environment, a dorm, totally. like you only have 12 pieces to your name. You're anyway. all throwing around the hot top to go out. You're in. Yeah. all passing around the same top. And once you leave that physical environment of just like being close to people of similar sizes mm-hmm. and similar tastes, then we like forget that you can still do that with your friends. Like it yeah. takes a little bit more effort and it's not nearly as fluid have as like, what do you party. have? What do you have? But like, Clothing swaps should absolutely be normalized to yeah. the adult population. Like yeah. you can do clothing swaps beyond your college dorm. Yeah, like have a party, like do your thing, like throw on great bobs and like just like have a fashion show. Like that's so fun. What do you think are the challenges that people come to you with? So it's not just like the basic challenge of I don't know how to thrift, but like what are the other barriers to progressing in your thrift? I, I don't know, like life cycle, I suppose. I think a lot of, I mean, I just get a lot of people like being very overwhelmed by like the experience and like not knowing where to start and then not going anywhere. I think a lot of people also have this like preconceived notion. What I do hear a lot in my DMs from like my younger followers who are like middle school, young high school, still like under their parents' roof is like, they really want to go thrifting. They really want to be more sustainable, but like their parents think it's gross and their parents have this like association that's very drenched in classism of like, poor people thrift. So, ew, we're not going to do that. That's not for us. When like, that is just so, and like, it, it's really hard. Like I have the, yeah, these younger people that are just like, I want to thrift, but my mom like thinks it's so gross and won't let me go to the thrift store. Won't let me bring that kind of stuff in the house. And that is really hard because for me, I, I get really upset thinking about that. You know, like our society has really, really, really like really like nailed into us like new and fresh is good and used and you know old is bad and like that's what we do with people young people old people like we just you know we discard the old and used and we only want new 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 and young and I think that's something that a lot of people's like parents have like associated with like secondhand shopping and thrifting but again it's like opening up which we have through social media opening up the eyes and our, our eyes to like the clothing coming from those dirty warehouses that are made by people that are being abused or like not paid enough and like kept in poverty. And like, that is not better. Like that is to me more creepy. I also get the like, what if it's haunted? What if the clothes are haunted? And I'm like, <laughs> I've I'm, never heard that I'm one. Like, I'm like, oh my God, my Starbucks barista asked my sister and I the other day, like, do you guys ever, cause she like watches our videos and she was like, do you ever get like haunted things? Like we're so scared of the thrift. And I'm like, 
if if my clothes from the thrift are haunted, like how haunted are your clothes that are made in terrible conditions by people that are being abused? Like probably a lot of bad karma in that too. So like, I think it's honestly about like myth busting. Then we need a myth busters for thrifting, like all of these things, um, because I think there's just so many like negative connotations like made about thrifting and like uh, surrounding thrifting. And like we were talking about, it's in the like tiny bubble that like, I feel like I live in and you probably have a lot of on the internet on your for you page and on whatever we're hearing a lot of thrifting. We'd like, oh, everyone's thrifting, but it's like actually like not that many people are. And a lot of people like the masses, believe me, when my reels go out to like Facebook for some reason, like they have been recently or like crazy people that like are not my demographic and re like I hear it. Like it takes me out of kind of the bubble that I'm in where like all of my followers are like, yes, this is amazing. We love it to like these people are like, this is the dis most disgusting thing ever. And I'm like, you have no idea like where that thought is coming from because it is just like I said, like so drenched in classism, like you thinking that because it's something you associated with people that don't have a lot of money, like it's bad, it's gross, it's terrible. And like, that is just so fucked up. Oh my God. Like, it just makes me yeah. like so angry. <laughs> well, that's so interesting because you're totally right. Like I live in this bubble where I believe that people understand the value of thrifting. People yeah. think it's cool. Because but people in our, that we talk, like No, those are the people that we to. talk to. Exactly. exactly, exactly. But you're totally right that there's this entire other demographic. And I didn't even think about like younger followers living with parents who like don't understand who are like what I'm thrifting is. Like, they don't won't let me because like they have this idea of what it is and what it would say about our family or me if I was thrifting and like that like breaks my heart and like just because I grew up like thinking it was a little more like it it breaks my heart like yeah. I think it's really like an overall more thing about like our society obviously and that's why I'm like hoping with things like this book to like. Like I would love all the thrift girlies to pick it up, but I also want people to pick it up that like think it's gross and like read it and be like, oh my God, wait, what are you finding? Like what is going on here? Obviously we dive into like the more serious aspects of everything as well. And I really hope that that like opens people's eyes on like a bigger, a bigger scale. Because like I said, I, I, too, I get very like lost in like just like the people that follow me and being like, it's a lot of people. But like when, like I said, my videos go out to like the wrong side of TikTok, I like realize how much people are still hyper judgmental about secondhand clothing and like the ideas they have about it and the kind of people that do it. Wow. That's so interesting to me for a lot of levels because it's almost like, like you mentioned, this is a societal issue. Like these are yeah. myths that need to be busted. It is not just the the fault of the parents, right? It's not like, yeah. to some extent, it's like, I, I don't fault the parents for saying thrifting is gross because like, that's what they truly believe. Like they have been- That's what they were taught. They have been like so deeply ingrained in this society and this system that has told them that, that yeah. like, that's what they want to tell their kid like is the best way of moving forward, whatever. And there's a lot of issues with that too, right? But- then the kid trying to change their mind about it. Mm -hmm. Is it just this one kid or does it need to be like all of these systems coming together of like the videos leaking into Facebook more often than you think, or yeah. like the masses picking up your book? It's the like, reason I like take that, like, because I get so scared when like my videos are like, you know, at a certain point and they are just like taken off and I can tell the wrong people are getting to it. But then I'm like, you know what? They can hate on me all they want. Cause they think I am so crazy and wild. And I'm like, please. And they just like, but I'm like, you know, they need to see it. Like let yeah. them keep seeing it. Let them keep seeing what I'm doing. Um, I think it's like, you know, a lot of Fox news parents on Facebook that really like want to come for me about this stuff. They don't know. And I'm like, to an extent, I'm like, 
okay, that's what you grew up thinking. That's what you were taught. But also like, we live in this age now where like the information is out there. Like we, the, the, you know, the cloth has been lifted. Like we know what's going on in these factories. We know what's going on with the planet. Like it is out there and we cannot like claim ignorance to why we're doing shit the way we're, we've been doing it forever anymore. Right. What do you think was the most challenging part of your book for you? Having been so deeply entrenched in thrift culture for so long, was there a chapter or a portion of your book that you had to really like force yourself to get head down and think more deeply about? Well, for me, like it was really great to first of all have an editor who and her assistant that were not thrifters because I felt like it was really the biggest thing was like me just expanding, expanding, expanding because like things to me that felt very second nature and very like, oh, no one will care about this. It's very easy. She was like, I have no idea about this. Like, tell me more. So that I just felt was really great. Like, I feel like if I would have had an editor that like was like me, like so into it and like knew everything, like we wouldn't have flushed out as much. Um, For me, like the most important chapter that I feel like I put the most love into was the entire chapter on kind of like thrifting outside a straight size. You know, when I made this book, it was really important for me to like, I am just like a thin white girl. Like I have my perspective. I know what it's like. I know that I have so much privilege that I can like thrift in my body and find things for my body so much. So it was really important for me to be able to like, I did a lot of interviewing like creatives and stylists and designers and people that run like plus size vintage shops and all kinds of stuff to get their perspective on that. And that was the chapter where we also dove into like gender identity because I have so many friends that have shared that finding their gender identity was the thrift store was literally the lifeline for that and how where they bought a skirt for the first time or whatever. and. So that chapter for me, like it wasn't necessarily hard, but it was just like, I wanted to just tell those stories. And I wanted to like really be able to make it not just like to make it useful, like because, you know, me writing a thrift guide from just my perspective and my body, like is not going to be useful to someone that is not my size. So that was just a chapter that felt just it was the first chapter I wanted to make because and I told my editor, like, I have to be able to like tell other people's stories and let them kind of have the mic or like what am I doing? Like, I can't speak for this community just from my perspective. And I just think that's such a huge part. And that's something I hear all the time. It's just like, it's so easy for you because you're skinny and like, they're right. Like there is more options. So I wanted to be able to, you know, research those brands that are better to find, like for all body types and just re- and really like talk to people and get their tips and their plan of attack at the thrift, because it's going to be different than mine. And those voices are out there. And like, sadly, those are the voices that get more suppressed on an app like TikTok and shit when they're showing fashion content. So I just felt like this book was like, obviously it's not just mine. It's not just for me. Like it's for the whole thrifting community, all of fashion, whoever wants to read it. And I want, I didn't want anyone in my audience to like look at it and be like, this is so cool. But like, you know, we look at so much media that's made and we're like, this is so great. But like, it could have been like, it could have had this voice. It could have been better. And I wanted people to like, obviously it's not perfect by any means, but I wanted people to at least feel like, someone cared enough to like want to talk to me mm-hmm. um even though I don't look like them yeah. and I think that's something that gets lost a lot also in like the the content creator in like fashion influencer specifically and viewer relationship is like that like I'm talking to you even though I don't look like you and like I'm not just talking like I want to know your story I want to like I hear your story I want to put your perspective in so that I'm just really hope makes people feel like seen and like they're just like a part of fashion in a way that like 
maybe they haven't felt like they're a part of fashion before and actually give them tangible yeah. tips that I couldn't give them by myself. Wow. Two things. I feel like you have this privilege now with the book being the platform to yeah. elevate these other voices and to recognize that your perspective is not the only perspective. Yeah. Like that is so wildly powerful for you to recognize like this is a challenge because it's not about me anymore. This yeah. is a challenge because it's forcing me to get out of my body and forcing me to consider other experiences and other perspectives. <laughs> That's so important. And then I have to say the flip side of it, I don't, of course, like I've never interviewed people for a book, but I talk to a lot of people here on the podcast. And I think my favorite thing about that is that a podcast allows me to be so selfish when I'm getting to know a person mm -hmm. because it's me being able to ask someone so intimately, why does this bother you? What are your challenges? Yeah. Like it gets to a person in a way that a video can't in a lot of ways. And I think the flip side of that in a book is you're getting this very comprehensive understanding of a topic, of an issue, of thrifting, of like whatever the book is, mm. if you're featuring other interviews, if you're featuring other voices. Because even like what I'm thinking of a traditional self-help book, like does this white man's self-help no, book like, apply to me? Yeah, it's just no. like one person talking at you. And I no. just wanted this book to feel like it's like literally the thrift community is just like pulsating out of the pages. Yes. But I'd never done like obviously interviewing on that scale and had to do like a gazillion Zoom interviews. But it was like just right. Like I just didn't want to make this just another like, oh, an influencer wrote a fashion book, like whatever. Like, no, like I yeah. wanted this to like, I don't know, like I don't, again, I've been a little delusional since I was born. Like I want it to like hopefully change the fashion industry in a way and like put a piece of material out there that like is so up to date, that is so of what the actual thrifting community looks like and feels like and talks like and what we get excited about. Like ta vintage tags and like, you know, all kinds of things that like are just so like in the thrift community and then like show that colorfulness to the people that aren't in it yet and like invite them in. Yeah, I I love that. So I have to think this ties back so perfectly to what you said about thrift television, like fashion television and getting people these stories and getting people these firsthand experiences with like true stories, true people. Mm -hmm. It's not just like bombarding people on the street for what not to wear. What do you think fashion television should look like in a truly inclusive, sustainable, like whatever word you want to attach to it? In a perfect world, what is fashion television? For me, I just want it to feel like positive. I want it to feel uplifting. I want it to feel inclusive and accessible. And I think so much of like those shows we watched, it didn't feel like I could touch them at all. Like it didn't feel like a connection to me. So I feel like introducing the secondhand world to that like main television stage is like going into these thrift stores and all around the country because like to me it's like you know my hometown ohio thrift like american thrift shout out like that is like where the real people are really like living in the clothes that that are in there like they're you know they're really living in them and for me that's just so interesting and they're like the untold stories and so i think just keeping that love for like glam and fashion and all of that chic yes that we love but doing it in a way that is like not hurting people. And like, I mean that in the way of the planet and the people in garment factories and the person whose self-esteem is hurt when they are like told, like, if you look like this person we're making over, like you are ugly and like you need to change. And that's like what a show like What Not to Wear was. And I think there's a way to do, like, I love a makeover. I want to make a makeover show. I love 
second chances and giving people that confidence, but doing it in a way that we don't have to like, I don't know, knock them down a million notches to build them back up. And like fashion for me, like I've always felt like literally like my original YouTube name, Fashion Outsider. And I still do like even working so much in fashion now, like I do, I always feel like the fashion outsider with a lot when I'm with other like influencers and stuff like that, because what I do is just like kind of different. And I feel like it's, it's about the people for me first, then the clothes. And I think presenting that on TV is really important. Like clothes are cool and amazing, but like people are more important. People's stories are more important and getting to know a person and then helping them find their personal style versus like knocking them down and making them feel terrible about themselves unless they have this specific top that we think is cool. Like that was the messaging. And I think that we can just build people up in fashion and it just like doesn't have to be so mean. Like, I just don't like that mean energy. And I think that it can be, that can be entertaining and that can be fun. And it will also feel so relatable to people being like, oh yeah, like I can go to the thrift store right next door, but I can't go to like this expensive random store. And that's how I felt watching those shows was like, I can't afford any of this. Um, But I can go to the thrift store, you know, down the street and remake it myself. So yeah, it's like so much less, even about the clothes for me, it's like about the person. And like, that's how I feel when I'm making my videos. Like I just want to make my followers feel good. And I just want to make people feel good around clothing. So when they get dressed, so much of my eating disorder was like getting dressed every day and feeling like I look like just so bad about myself because that's like what society had like made me feel. And I think those shows played a big hand in that. So I just want to make stuff that just makes builds people up. Like give someone a fashion makeover, but build them up. Like we don't have to make them feel like crap about themselves to like then make them feel like good. And then do they even feel good just because they got like a new t-shirt from Anthropology? Like, I don't think so. Yeah. I also feel like there's this stress component to the current fashion system, right? It's not just that like, if you don't have this shirt, you don't look good. If you're not trendy, X, Y, and Z. And it's not just like bringing people down for these makeover shows. But there's also this stress of like, we were talking about Amazon storefronts, like this hyper consumption online, wherever we're getting that, wherever we're like consuming Mm -hmm. that media. And there's this stress of like, now that the seasons are changing, let's say like we're getting into fall. Oh, make sure you get these shoes, these pants, whatever, because they sold out last year and you're not gonna be able to get them if you don't get them right now. And I've seen people talking about Ugg boots like that. They're like, get your Uggs right now before they sell out. And I'm like, my Uggs from a couple years ago were fine. Yeah, my yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's, like it's 90 degrees outside. With. Like I'm not even like, concerned really about fine. that. It's really fine. And I even felt like during, you know, when whenever that was a couple months ago in New York, you know, when everyone was posting that it like looked like apocalyptic outside. Yes. And like literally all of a sudden it was just like all of these random influencers that I, I literally know or like, you know, and mutuals with whatever posting like, get your air purifier on my Amazon storefront. And I'm like the delusion of like the loop of like, this is happening. It's so scary outside. I can't even go outside, but like buy it from my, buy an air purifier from my Amazon storefront. Like I get anxiety about it. Like being in like the quote unquote, like influencer space, fashion influencer space. Like it makes me feel crazy sometimes that like, I, I don't understand like how we're not like, well, I think people are making these connections. They're just like turning a blind eye. And like, I just don't think there's an excuse for turning a blind eye anymore. Because all the information's out there, but... Yeah. No, it's like the friend who's like, oh, don't get upset, but I really needed to get this from Shein because it was just so cheap. Or like, I just needed this specific color or whatever. And it's like, well, it's not about me getting upset, right? Like, like, whatever you're doing isn't harming me. me. 
But you're recognizing that there's there something is wrong harm here. There. Right, right. And like right, I said, right. like it's not like I buy nothing that affects no one. Like I am not perfect at all. Right. But like I think it's just about being aware of like what we're putting out there, especially for people that have large platforms and that literally make their livelihood off of being a fashion influencer. And like like I said, claiming to love fashion so much that it's your whole job, but then like having literal such disregard for how the people are being treated that make the clothes. It's so crazy to me because we would fight for like the working rights of like ourselves and like wages for ourselves. And we wouldn't want that for our sister or our mom or our dad or our grandparent, like to be in that kind of working condition, but we don't care about someone else's. And that is a crazy disconnect to me. Yeah. Like if you truly care about fashion, you have to be you have to caring about the people the, making the garments yes. that you claim to love so much. It is it makes me feel, like I said, it makes me feel crazy sometimes. Because, it, you know, it starts to sound crazy after a while. Like, it starts to sound like you're speaking to no one. Yeah. Like, the more that you say it, the more, yeah, like, circular the argument becomes. Like, yeah. it's, it, like, then do you truly care about passion? Then yeah. you start have to, having to question all these other things. And it kind of makes total sense, like, why people are so deeply disconnected to the fashion system. Yeah. Because if they are thinking about the garment workers, if they are thinking about the environmental footprint, if they are thinking about all of these other parts of the negative side of fashion, then like, are they truly willing to invest in that system? Like, are they truly willing to be a part of the problem? Yeah. And it's such a different level for like influencers. Like I always say, like, I don't blame anyone. Like it's not low income people that are driving like the sales of Shein to where they are. It's not people that like I'm like, I get it. Like people can't afford shit. I get that. And like, also they're not like, like I said, sustainable brands, not always size inclusive and thrifting is harder for some body types. And so I'm not even talking to like those consumers. It's like, I do have this like gripe with like influencers with big platforms and a lot of money from these brands that just will pump that, those recommendations out, sell that shit out and then be like, I don't care. Yeah. I love fashion. I'm at fashion week. Like, yes, fashion, fashion, fashion. But it's like, you don't actually care about fashion because yeah. like the people that make the clothes, like they are such a like, such a backbone of the fashion industry. And like the more you keep like pushing things at this rate, the more they're gonna stay in the system of poverty because they're never gonna get out because these companies are never gonna let them out because no one cares. And like the consumer doesn't care. And the consumer definitely isn't gonna care if the influencers that hold all the power in influencing don't care. So like, it's just this huge trickle down effect. And like, yeah, I just never want, I, oh, I never want people that like watch my videos to think I'm being like, yeah, no one can shop fast fashion. I'm like, I get that it is like time for people and money, all the things. And it's just people that have so much power and influence, like just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Like I'm not even asking you to be like a sustainability advocate, just like the Amazon storefront every five seconds is like, it's really overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. No, you hit it. Like I, that's probably my least favorite argument in the sustainable fashion space. It's like, well, not everyone can afford. And I'm like, well, those aren't the people that I'm those talking to. The, that's if you're still spending like hundreds upon hundreds of dollars at all of these fast fashion brands, you're not the consumer then that you're advocating for, right? No. You're not the one that needs it because of the price. Because when they're doing that, like they're buying a couple things and they're wearing it the way yes. that I rewear clothes all the time. Like it's rewearing. It's yes. not these huge hauls all the time that then are posted and seen by millions of people that then drive all of those clicks. It just, it's literally, it's a, it's a lot. If you buy a couple things and you really wear them 
like to the best ability that you possibly can. You yeah. wear them until they're threads. It's like, okay, that was a good purchase for you. Yeah, or that then was a you conscious pass it purchase. along in a circular way. Like that doesn't mean like I'm thrift fast fashion at the thrift store. Yeah. Like it's there, like wear it, like it's fine. It's just like so much disconnect, so much like turning a blind eye. And like, it does make me feel icky sometimes. Like I said, I live in like the bubble of like sustainability fashion, but also like working as like a fashion influencer as a part of my job. Like I also live in that world where like it is challenging to have to like figure out the brands that I am okay to align myself with that I feel like are doing anything. Like it, it's, 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 uh, it's tough. Cause sometimes yeah. it makes me feel really icky. Um, but then I just like have to keep making my thrifting videos and just like showing people yeah. what is in, like I said, like a granny drawer at an estate sale. And like that these things, it's not just the thrift, it's all these places where secondhand shopping can happen. Um, and it's so much more fun than the mall or doing it online. And that is said from like a former mall girl. Like I worked at Forever 21 in high school and- Did like, you really? Yeah, I did. It was like one of my, it was my first job at the mall. And I was like thrifting, like I would thrift. And then I worked at Forever 21 because I, like I said, wasn't really like, I had no like really understanding of fast fashion at that time. Obviously like, it was like really pre, like it was when like the mall brands was like yeah. the fast fashion and it wasn't really online yet. And I worked there and like, it was just, it's crazy to think back on. Cause now like I won't step foot in there. I like don't even they're know where they're like living and breathing Forever 21 anymore, but it's just crazy. Wow. Wow. Well, to end on a positive note, I would love to hear a little bit about next steps for you. So you're working on the book, you're still thrifting, you're still creating content, talking about fashion TV. Like what is your next big goal? Like, so next big goal, we can talk about like a project, but also mm -hmm. is there like a thrift goal? Like I can't wait to like find this super rare archival piece. Like what is the next thing that's driving you oh in this gosh. space? Well, honestly, like, I'm really excited about finishing the book. I'm so excited. I'm just excited to be able to tell people stories. Like I feel like I have this like platform that I like wished for my entire life that I didn't necessarily like, I kind of like knew, like I just, it was always driving me. Like I knew I was gonna do this. Um, I'm really inspired by like all of my followers and like their stories and like wanting to tell their stories and their thrift stories. I like see so much of myself and like so many of the young people that follow me and the older people in their like 60s that comment and are like, I love your style. Like I used to wear the, all this stuff in high school. Um, so I think just like breaking down the walls of the fashion industry even more and like, you know, making brands see how cool it is and how cool like reviving the old is and working with what we already have is and making a tv show like that is that is that is it that is the goal that is what i'm working on and just being able to literally just like reinvent the fashion space the entertainment space in general books podcasts tv like i just want to really like have the fashion outsiders rise up um and like show people how cool we are and how cool secondhand shopping is. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Oh my God. Well, thank you so, so much, Maisie. I feel like I could I talk just, to you for hours. Oh my gosh. Same. Like. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.